Well, good morning. It's a, a pleasure to be examining God's Word with you uh, this morning. It's always a, a blessing and privilege to be before you. Uh, I'll have to ask uh, that you bear with me. I've been battling a, a cough the last few weeks, and it tends to flare up the most when I talk, which, if you're a preacher, is most inconvenient. So uh, be patient with me. But yes, this morning, uh, it's, it's a blessing to be examining God's Word with you. We'll be in the book of Colossians, as uh, Joe has given me the occasion to preach. Uh, we've been examining the book of Colossians, uh, verse by verse, and just seeing the, the, this rich theological and practical uh, letter and in the, in the instruction that, that Paul has, both for the Colossians and in turn uh, for us. Recently, uh, my family and I, we, we had the occasion to, to visit a friend of ours, uh, who uh, owns an apple orchard. And so we were walking around. It's actually a wonderful time of year. It's, it's harvest time for, for many of the apples, and so you could smell the, the aroma, and, and our girls were having a great time running around and getting into a little trouble. But I, I know very little about uh, apple harvesting. And so, of course, I, I was bombarding my, my, my friend with all sorts of, of questions about how how to harvest them, how do you know how to grow them, and all those things. And so he, he was explaining all these, this, this process to me. Okay, so you, you develop these certain buds, and they, they grow. You cut these other ones away. Um, there's certain apples that grow small, and you let them drop, and you don't eat those because it's developing the big ones. And, and, and so, so on and so forth. You know, don't eat these. There's certain apples that you harvest at the beginning of the season, and then there's certain other apples that you, you wait and save to the end. It was very fascinating, at least for me. And so... As we began walking around through the orchard, uh, we began, you know, picking a box of apples to take home. And as Sophia uh, picked one, our friend said, whoa, whoa, don't take that one. Uh, it has a worm in it. You know, her eyes were in amazement, like a worm. And sure enough, if, if you turned the, the apple around the side, you could see a, a small little brown hole on the side. Got me to thinking, okay, so, you know, how do worms get into apples in the first place? And, and what's, what's the process uh, to prevent it. So I, again, I was asking questions in it. And my friend said, well, what happens is that uh, sometime in the evening or at nighttime, moth, a certain type of moth flies around and they, they land on the apple and they, they penetrate the bottom and they go up and they, they lay eggs or larvae and then over time they grow and develop worms and then they burrow out and, and exit. It's kind of gross. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to look at apples a little different, different in each friend. And so he says, okay, to prevent them, you, you, you spray the apples. And it got to me thinking, although seemingly unrelated, uh, much, of that in, much of this process um, is like the Christian life. As you depend upon um, the word of God, of the Lord, um, you grow and are nourished and you become a good, solid fruit. You grow healthy. However... Um, in the same way, you must defend yourself from things penetrating into your heart that aren't supposed to be there. Things trying to impact your worldview, your attitude, things that are trying to influence you. Because at first, you may not realize they're there. You might not pay attention or, or you think, okay, I've got this under control, or it's no big deal. And so, from the outside, you look like you're, you're healthy. You look like you, you're a worm-free apple, if you will. But if those things are not taken care of, if you're, if you're not defending yourself against that, over time, those things will grow and they will take root, 
And if they continue to grow, then they will be apparent to all. They'll be little brown holes. This was Paul's concern for the Colossian church. He wanted them to be strong and healthy believers. He wanted them to be people who grew and matured in Christ and defended themselves against false teaching. People who bore fruit both for the glory of God and his kingdom and were used in mighty ways for them. And so it's this topic which we find ourselves in the, in the text of Colossians this morning. And just to give you a little bit of context, the last time I spoke with you, uh, we entered into chapter 2. And uh, chapter 2, we see, uh, once again, Paul's deep love for these believers in Colossae, uh, most of whom he had never met. He didn't even know them, but he had a deep pastoral shepherding love for them. And his desire for them, if you look to, to verse 5 of chapter 2, at the end, he says, though I'm with you in spirit, that he's rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. The firmness of your, the, the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so he, he builds off of his, his teaching here. He continues off of what he had just given them instruction about the church. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And he springboards off of it and says, okay, in order to have a, a healthy church, you have to have healthy believers within the church. Having a healthy church begins with you. It begins with you on an individual level. And so he, springs aboard, he springboards off this thought and he continues on in verse 6. And this is where we'll begin our, our reading this morning. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And we'll be reading through verse 10. Paul writes, Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we examine his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for the loving kindness which you show us. Lord, I pray as we, as your body, examine your word that you would conform us into your image. Help us to be teachable that we might draw close to you, Lord, and honor you with our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the beginning of of verse 6, Paul says, therefore, and and that's a good indicator for us that what he's about to say is is connected to what he's just told us. And what he's just told us is that he was in constant uh, struggle, care, lovingly caring for the church in Colossae. He wanted to find them in good order and in in their firmness of faith. And last time we looked about how that was accomplished and Paul gave us uh, some ingredients for that, that, that you needed to be strong in heart, that as a church we need to have solidarity and love, that as a church we need to be sure in our understanding of what proper doctrine is so that we will be safe from false teaching. And as he went through these, Paul now continues on and he gives further insight to this on how this is accomplished in your life. Because we know ultimately the church is not really a building, is it? It's made up of people, of members. And so the health of the church is dependent upon 
your health, your walk, your relationship with God. And so, as Paul begins and continues this instruction, he provides for us two essential ingredients of a healthy Christian so that you will be firmly established in your faith. Two essential ingredients of a healthy Christian so that you will be firmly established in your faith. The last time we looked, we looked at the essential ingredients of a healthy church. Following up with this, expounding upon it now, Paul gives us some ingredients of a healthy Christian. Of a healthy Christian. And the first one is this. An ingredient of a healthy Christian is a person who walks in Christ. Walks in Christ. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ... So walk in him. So walk in him. This instruction seems pretty simple enough. Almost too simple, as it were. Like, that's it. Just, if I'm a healthy Christian, I just have to walk in Christ. Yes. However, this is often the area that at times seems the most difficult. Living how you know you should. Living as you know you should. Paul says you received. And it's a little awkwardly put, as you received uh, Christ. And what he's just meaning is that you were taught the gospel. We came and we preached the, the pure word of God and the gospel and you believed it. And in this sense, this, the word received, it's, it's being used in a technical sense, kind of received as transmitted. We were proclaiming this truth to you and, and you accepted it. You believed it. You believed it. And so because you believed now live according to that belief. Live according to that belief. It makes no sense to believe the gospel, or I suppose anything for that matter. It makes no sense to believe in the gospel, but then not live according to it. To know what's right, but then not care. In fact, we, we discussed this uh, amongst our youth group on Friday. Right? We discussed this. Youth, what what, what what is a person called who knows what's right and wrong, but doesn't live it and doesn't care? What, what, what are they called? Test, job security here. <laughs> what are they called? Yeah, a fool. A fool. A fool is somebody who knows what's right, but then doesn't care and lives contrary to it. So Paul says you receive the gospel, you receive the word of God, so... Walk in Him. Live according to it. The term walk, it's, it's very common in, in the New Testament. Peripateo, and it just it means to live. Paul uses it in the beginning of Colossians, saying, walk worthy of the Lord. And it was a common phrase in, in that culture just to talk about how you lived and how you act and how you thought. So as you spend time in the Word of God, as you seek to obey uh, him, seek to live a life that's pleasing to Him in your job, in your marriage, in the classroom, amongst your friends. This is what walking in the Lord is. You, you want a, 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 the, the simplest definition of walking with the Lord? Reading God's Word and doing what it says. That's it. Read God's Word and do what it says. Here Paul uses this as an imperative. You must walk. Walk in Him. It's not optional. It's not acceptable to say, well, and I hear this from time to time. You know, I believe, but I'm just, I'm not into this religious stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not really, 
you know, spiritual. I mean, I believe the gospel, but, you know, I just, I get busy and I, I'm, not a, I'm not a good reader. I don't like to be involved. I got a lot of stuff going on. No. If you believe in Christ, then walk in Him. Because as you begin to walk in the Lord, as you begin to study His Word and be obedient to it, spend time amongst the church body, you begin, you begin to grow in Him. You begin to grow in Him. This is an essential ingredient to a healthy Christian. Are you walking with Him? Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, I think so. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, Paul, uh, well, Paul follows up with this and gives some general uh, descriptions of what goes along with walking in Christ. What goes along with walking in Christ? What are the results of walking in Christ on the life of a believer? It's not a comprehensive list, but it will help you to know it's a good gauge on whether you're walking with Christ. So as we look at these things, examine your life. Because it should be a good indicator. Wow, am I seeing this in my life? If so, okay, I need to grow and I'm encouraged. If not, hmm. Maybe I need to correct some things. And the first one is this. The first, the first result that goes along with walking in Christ, verse 7, is that you're rooted in Him. Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him rooted. And this... Um, this Greek word rooted here is actually a lot of technical Greek things. I was all excited. I called Leanne this week. I'm like, I'm into the, my Greek lexicon. Some, some weeks are that, some weeks are not. It was, I probably got some nerd points this week at some, some point in time. Um, but this, this Greek word is in the past tense. And so some of your versions might translate it, you know, ha- <coughs> excuse me, having been rooted. And, so that, and that's an appropriate way to put it. But this is unique in the Greek in the sense of this form is past tense, with ongoing results. It happened in the past, but you can still see the results of it today. You have been rooted and you continue to see those results in Christ. And he gives an, an agricultural example of what happens when you walk with Christ. The moment you became a Christian, the moment you truly believed, you were permanently rooted in Christ. And that can never be taken away. Now, some people will say, well, wait a minute. Did you say permanently? Well, what about those people who um, seem to go to church for a while? They seem to be really involved, but then over time they walk away. What about those people? Are they, are they just backslidden Christians? What about them? Well, Jesus addresses them, doesn't he? Remember the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8? He said the kingdom's like a field and seeds are sown with the seeds of the word of God. And some seeds, they land and they, 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 they sprout up very quickly. They grow. They look like they're going to bear fruit. But then, as a result of testing, they fall away. Why? They had no root. There was really no root there to begin with. It's kind of terrifying, isn't it? You might be asking, well, wait, so, so how do I know if I have a root then? I don't want to walk away. How do I know if I'm rooted? It's simple. Walk with Christ. Walk in Him. 
Walk with him. That is one of the blessings of walking in Christ, is the assurance of your salvation. Being rooted in Christ and having assurance of salvation is an ingredient for a healthy Christian. You don't walk with him and do things to earn your salvation. That's impossible. We know that. You do it because it's a natural fruit of your salvation. And the more you walk with him, the stronger the roots become and you can see the effects of it in your life. And we know this because Paul continues and he gives another result of walking him. He says, verse 7, having been rooted and built up in him. Once you, you had genuine faith, you were rooted with Christ permanently then. And the effects of that are ongoing even to today. And now as you walk with him, now this one's in present tense, and it's you are continually being built up in Christ. What does that mean? What What does it mean to be built up in Christ? It means that as you walk with him, you will slowly become more like him. You will become more like him. As you spend time in his word, as you obey him, as you spend time in the body, you start to think the way he thinks in a, in a limited human sense, of course. You start to love the way he loved and act the way he act. And there's much joy and fulfillment in this. See, Paul, what he does is he switches from an a agricultural to a building metaphor. And he says, as you walk with Christ, you're like a building that is b- being built up piece by piece, floor by floor, one step at a time. A healthy Christian is rooted in Christ and is being built up into him, his, his image. And as you do this and as you grow, Paul continues and he says, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Another result of walking with Christ is that you're established in the faith. You're established in the faith. And, and in this instance, uh, established is passive. Again, sorry for all the technical things, but I, I get excited about this because Paul is being so clear. In other words, what he's saying is, as you're rooted and as you're being built up, you will be made to be established. And if that's the case, who is doing the establishing? It's God. It's God. He hasn't left you alone. He hasn't left you to, to try to figure things out and walk with Him and, and, and build, be built up in Him alone. He was the one that did the work in your heart in the first place. And so as you walk with Him... He will establish you. That's why if you're walking with the Lord, you don't have to have any worry about falling away. No one ever fell away from the Lord who was strong in their walk with Him and then one day just says, I give up. You talk to any one of those people and they can tell you, well, you know, I kind of slowly, I had some questions and I stopped reading my Bible and I stopped going to church and I started reading these other things that gave new insight and their walk with the Lord suffered and then they, they tailed off. It's the Lord that's establishing and strengthening your faith. And so you walk with Him just like you were taught. And this was a constant theme for Paul. That's what he wanted them, to be established and firm. In fact, if you just look as a reminder in verse um, 23 of of chapter 1, he says, and he's talking to them about the the reconciliation, he says um, that you'll be holy and blameless if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 
Then now in verse in chapter two, verse five, which we talked about it, he desired to see them in good order and firmness in their faith. Now in verse seven, he says, I want you to be uh, rooted and built up and established in your faith. Where are you at? Are you a healthy Christian? Are you a healthy believer? Or are there things hindering your walk? Are there things keeping you from being built up in Christ? Well, if you're doing well, I encourage you to continue all the more because you're seeing the benefits and blessings of doing so in your life. But if not, you know what? I encourage you when you go home, as you reflect this evening, this afternoon, be honest with God because you know what? He knows already. Examine your life and say, you know what, I I need to do a little bit of house cleaning. And I need to to recommit and I need to be um, extra disciplined so that I grow my walk. So that I grow my walk. Because you know what, this is God's will for your life. To walk in Him. That's what God wants. He's told us so. And when you do so, the quality of your life will increase. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about happiness or possessions. I'm talking about true joy and fulfillment because that can only be found through our faith in Christ, through your faith in Christ. And we see it as a result because Paul continues. Colossians 2, the end of verse 7. Okay, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, you'll, 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 very, you'll rarely find, I don't even think it's possible to find somebody who, um, is, who is thankful but unjoyful. Like truly thankful. I'm not just saying, you know, we use that word thanks all the time when we go to stores and, and we see things. But if you're truly thankful, you have this sense of genuine thankfulness, joy comes along with it. Joy comes along with it. We are thankful. Oftentimes, why? We, we, we receive gifts. Things happen that are good at work. You know, maybe Christmas gifts or, or, or somebody serves you in some way and you're thankful. Other times, uh, we're thankful because of things that we were saved from. Right? You get pulled over by the police officer, but he decides to give you a warning instead. There's that moment of when he drives off, you're just like, oh, you're thankful. Or maybe it's... it's, it's it's more than that. Maybe it's you thought that you had a, a severe health problem, but as it turns out, um, it's not. Or the doctor was able to remedy it so that now it's not a problem anymore. There's that sense of thankfulness and relief. And it seems like at those times, thankfulness is, is the most sincere and felt. That's the result of walking in Christ. A sincere, true thankfulness. Because you know what it is? I, I know it's easy to be complacent. It's easy to kind of go through the motions and go to church and do your, your Bible reading and not kind of have that sense of thankfulness, isn't it? It's kind of like you might be saying, well, it's kind of like um, I was saved many years ago and, and I had that joy, but it just I went on. It's kind of like trying to be really thankful for a Christmas gift you got 10 years ago. Like you're really happy at the time, but now it just kind of sits there and you've kind of moved on. The thing is, the more you walk with the Lord, the more you realize how great He is. And what he continually does for you. So that that freshness of thanksgiving is real and refreshed every day. 
Because you know that everything you have is from Him. Your marriage, your job, everything He's blessed you with. And so you have joy and fulfillment. So much so that the, 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 the world, the cares of the world and the trials don't remove that joy and fulfillment. They don't take away from it. You see, a person who's, who's saved from a burning building and a fire doesn't care too much that their clothes have been burned and, or that their shoes have been ruined. They might have really liked that, that shirt. It might have been very expensive. It might have been important to them or those shoes. But if they were in a burning building and dying and somebody came and rescued them, they're not going to care about the clothes or the shoes because they pale in comparison to their life. And so as you walk with Christ, you start to see that He has saved your life. He has forgiven you of your sin. He's given you redemption and hope. So that even if the th- difficulty comes and things are taken away, when you, you put them in the, within the light of Christ, they just they fade into the background. That's the result of walking in Christ. A healthy Christian abounds, overflows, literally, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. That's an ingredient of a healthy Christian. And as you grow that, you will grow firm in your faith and walk. The second, the second essential ingredient is this. The first was to walk in Christ. The second, and Paul describes here, is to depend on Christ. Depend on Christ. And here, he's not speaking about strength, even though that, that certainly comes along with it. What he's meaning is, as we'll read, he's depending on his word for your life and authority. Depending on his word to form everything in your life, your worldview, your attitude, your actions. What is sin? What is wisdom? What is spiritual truth? Everything. You go to Christ. You go to Christ. You depend on him. Because the thing is, Many things are seeking to influence and be that source for your life. Many things are trying to infiltrate you and take root. So you have to defend yourself against it. You have to defend yourself against it. It was true for the Colossians and it's true for you today, here, and now. You see, Paul wanted these believers to be healthy Christians. He wanted them to walk with the Lord. And so he continues and gives them instructions. And up until this point, as we've looked at the letter, um, Paul has not brought up any specific uh, type of false teaching that the Colossians were facing. He's kind of dropped subtle hints here and there. In the, in the first, chapter 1, he, he went into great detail about the person of Christ, the deity of Christ, and how he's far above all things. Then later in chapter 1, he talks about how there's this mystery that Christ is in you and that he is the hope of glory. And then in chapter 2, he talks about how he wants the church to understand the mystery of Christ so that they might be firm in their faith. Why does he want this? Why, did, why was he concerned about Christ? Well, he kind of gives a hint in, in, in chapter 2, verse 4. Just look with me. And talking about Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The person of Christ, their understanding of who Christ was and, and what place he should have in their life was clearly something he was concerned about for them. He was worried that they might be led astray. 
It was his concern, and, and indeed it's the concern of any true pastor and shepherd for his sheep. And he kind of sneaks that verse in in verse 4, so you're not dissuaded by or, or, or led astray by plausible arguments. It doesn't touch on it much, but now in verse 8, he kind of revisits what he was talking about. And for the first time, he references this danger that the Colossians faced, and it's a danger that you face as well. What is it? Let's read Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. He says, see to it. And, and um, really, the, the, when I hear the word see to it, Usually I think it's something you have to do. Oh, I've got a bunch of yard work to do, so I need to see to it. But really the meaning, it's a warning. In the Greek it's saying, look out. Pay attention. Be careful. Be careful. Pay attention so this doesn't happen to you. What? Being taken captive by false teaching. The word for captive here it was often used um, to describe spoils of war, men who were captured as a result of battle and then carried off to be slaves or just um, as spoils for victory. Paul says, pay attention. So what is it? What do we have to pay attention to that might capture you? He says, he says, philosophy and vain deceptions. And really the vain deceptions is describing the type of philosophy. Paul Paul is not condemning all philosophy. What he's saying is, pay attention and be careful about vain and deceitful philosophies. So you might think, okay, I get that. And I've had like a philosophy class in college and I, I like to read. So how do I know what a vain and deceitful philosophy is? Well, Paul describes them. He gives us two hints that we can, we can know for sure. Two hints so that you can recognize them. The first one is this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. You want to know what a deceitful philosophy is? Something that's based off of human tradition and not the word of God. Look around. Churches are filled with people who believe what the church says and the doctrine of the church is full of things that are based off of human tradition and are contrary to what the Word of God says. They believe things that are found nowhere in Scripture. They work, they try to earn their way to salvation, they, they pray to saints and try to earn favor with God. They do all these different things that are based off of human tradition that have been passed down for many years and yet have no place and they're not found in the Word of God at all. And as a result, these people have been taken captive and been enslaved. They've been enslaved. It's true for many evangelicals as well, isn't it? You listen, you read books about your faith. It's all about being happy. You become a Christian and your problems will go away. Or that God wants you to be wealthy. That's His plan for you. Or that you can speak the Word of God and God is a... He, he listens to your words and is compelled and must do what you say if you speak your prayer and, 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 and so on and so on. 
God wants you to be famous for his glory, of course. All of these things are based off of human wants, human desires, human plans, and not the word of God. And so Paul says, look out, pay attention so that they don't capture you. So they don't capture you. He continues and he says, watch out for these deceitful philosophies. One, because they're based off of according to human traditions. And two, because they're based, they're according to, verse 7, off the elementary spirit, uh, according to elementary spirits. Or elementary principles. And, and there's a disagreement among commentators on exactly what Paul means here. Um, the word uh, elementary spirits or principles, uh, it literally means things in a row. And it was, it was used to describe back then as, as the most simple and basic of things. And we, uh, an example in our day, might, we would say the ABCs. Like just very simple, basic, basic things. And so some are, interpret this to mean, okay, Paul is warning them that these philosophies are too simple in nature. They don't make any sense. One scholar writes, to accept their teaching would be to descend, to regress from the mature teaching of Scripture to, to the infantile teachings of an immature religion, based not on advanced thinking and wisdom, but on silly and childish thoughts. To abandon biblical truth for empty philosophy is like returning to kindergarten after earning a doctorate. That kind of makes sense, I suppose. Starting to base your faith and be attracted to things that are based off of money or wealth or the flesh or the need to have the secret wisdom to become very spiritual. These things point to self-exaltation. They're the basest human worldly things that there is. And so Paul says, you've received the gospel. You've believed You're past all that. You've matured. Don't go back. Don't go back. Other scholars interpret this as, um, or this this word as elementary spirits, and and some versions translate that. The ESV says spirits. And they view this ultimately to be uh, a Satan or evil spirits. You know, they would worship back then all sorts of different spirits. uh, Spirit, you know, obviously there's different Greek gods and all those kind of things, or they would worship in astrology and think that there were spirits directing and giving men wisdom. This is not within the church, of course, but this was within their culture. They would worship angels or higher beings, and, and Paul's already addressed that, about Christ being above an angel. But Paul himself later, he, he warns Timothy about this very thing. And actually, in 1 Timothy 4.1, if you would turn there with me. Paul, in writing to Timothy, gives him some instructions, pastoral instructions. And then in 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food so that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
So what he says is, is, in other words, what these teachings are doing is they're diminishing the work of Christ. They're diminishing who Christ is and promoting that you need to do more things to be made right with God and to be real spiritual. That your faith is not enough. Now, however you take it, whether it's the, the, the basis things or if it's influenced by demons, I, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter. I think they both go hand in hand because they're both doing the same thing. They're promoting things other than Christ for true spirituality. And we know that's how Satan works. Subtle, deceitful. Because Paul says, or, or as we looked at, that these things are made with plausible arguments. You know what? They are often very convincing. When you first hear maybe some new teaching or a different preacher, or you read something, oftentimes they, they can sound profound and deeply spiritual, like they're really on to something. Uh, my, my, Leanne and I, we, we watch this uh, television program from time to time called Antiques Roadshow. Maybe some of you have heard of it. And so, you know, people bring in, they travel around the country, and people bring in these antiques to see what they're worth. And sometimes you find some valuable things, and, you know, you see a lot of junk on there, too. Most of the time, we're like, well, sell, you know. But sometimes people bring in things that have this appearance of high value. Oftentimes, it's, you know, a painting that might be by one of the masters or something like that, or, you know, something that looks like maybe a Fabergé egg, or it could be, you know, some sort of, Something like that. And so they're all like all excited because they paid a fair amount of money for it, but they think it's going to be worth a lot. And so after looking and giving the history, whatever, the expert kind of turns to them and says, you know, I'm sorry to break it to you, but this is a fake. It's a fake. And they're usually like, you know, they thought they had the real deal. But upon, but upon further and closer inspection... It didn't pass the test. See, the experts, they know the originals so well. They can look close at it and say, well, you know what? Um, these type of materials are not like the original. This type of craftsmanship, or maybe it's um, these kind of uh, uh, brush strokes. I mean, they know. So they're able to tell right away. They're able to look for and spot a counterfeit right away after close inspection. Because they know the original so well. How well do you know the original? You must pay attention. Pay attention. Spend time in the Word of God. Know the Word. Know the Word. See, Paul gives two imperatives in this passage. One, walk with Christ. Two, pay attention so that you're not taken captive. Because as you walk with the Lord, as you pay attention, you'll be able to spot a, forge, a forgery no matter how good it looks from first glance. And that's what Paul wants. That's, that's an ingredient for a healthy Christian. So you say, James, depending on Christ, where does this all fit in? We've been talking about false teaching. It's simply this. What these deceitful philosophies do is they undermine and they attack who Christ is. And what he said about himself. And what the word of God says about him. And they subtly undermine or change and contradict the Bible. So that you start depending on other things and looking at other things. And not the original. 
He started depending on human traditions or basic or, or demonic spiritual teachings and not Christ. And Paul says you don't need to look any further. You have all you need in Christ. How do you know this? He continues on. Verse 9. All you need is Christ because for in him the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You don't need anything more than Jesus because Jesus is God. There's nothing greater than that. This verse, this verse and the next one, uh, in fairness, could be a whole sermon on their own. But we spent a fair amount of time in chapter 1 looking at the deity of Christ. And so Paul just kind of reminds them that Christ is God, fully God. He's not lacking in God in any way, and He always has and He always will. So you don't need to look further for authority. You don't need to look further for fulfillment or teaching. Nothing is greater than Him. You don't need anything else. And in fact, continuing to verse 10, and you've been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Christ is over all things. Angels, kings, traditions of men, and certainly religious aspirations of false teachers. A healthy Christian is somebody who depends upon Christ alone and walks with Him. And I wish I could give you a comprehensive list of these vain philosophies I wish I could give you, uh, you know, we could spend hours looking at it, but we can't. There's too many of them and they're changing all the time. But the thing is, Paul certainly knew a bunch of different vain philosophies, but he doesn't make mention of them because it doesn't really matter. In a sense, he says, whatever they are, you pay attention. Whatever you read, whatever you see, whatever you listen to, including what I'm saying here today, test it. Test it to see if it matches up with Scripture. And if it diminishes the person and deity and work of Christ in any way, have nothing to do with it. Watch out and pay attention. It's about Him. You want a healthy church? A healthy church begins with healthy Christians. Are you healthy? Are you walking and depending in Him? These are the ingredients. These are the ingredients. What is influencing you? Is coming to church just an aspect of your life? Or is it more than that? Because you know what? It has to be more than that. Is Christ the one you depend on for truth? Is Christ the one you depend on for wisdom and knowledge and forgiveness and strength so that in Him you live and move and have your being? That's a healthy Christian. And we're not going to be perfect. It's not either you're a healthy Christian or you're not. There's things that we all have to work on, but let this passage encourage you to examine your life, examine where you're at with the Lord, and seek to be built up so that you might be a healthy Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Lord, strengthen us, establish us, build us up, Lord, that we might be conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, that we might have assurance of salvation, that we might glorify you. Lord, that we might proclaim your word to the lost. Lord, that the world would see a difference in us through the way we live and act so that the world might see Christ in us. We thank you, Lord, and we we pray that you would bless, bless the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.